0: Lance Azumi is Senior Director of the Center for Education at the Pacific Research Institute, and he is also the editor, uh, co-editor, of a new book called The Great Parent Revolt, How Parents and Grassroots Leaders Are Fighting Critical Race Theory in America's Schools, our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Azumi.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast with you.
0: Now, First, we have you on. You have two co-editors. Do you want to give them a, a, a little, a little uh, uh, credit? Yeah, absolutely. Before we start?
1: Absolutely, Mark. My uh, co-authors for the book are uh, Wen-Wan Wu, who is the executive uh, director of the uh, Californians for Equal Rights uh, Foundation, and my colleague here at Pacific Research Institute, uh, Mackenzie Richards. And so the three of us uh, you know, uh, co-authored this uh, book, and it's uh, done extremely well so far.
0: Uh, You know what? I I should say that this is you've been at this for for quite a while. You had uh, another previous book called The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic Policies and Possibilities, uh, among many other books. You you've actually had important education posts in the state of California. Uh, And and actually, we we both have undergraduate degrees from UCLA. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, California, that's that's been the place for a lot of a lot of. You know, reaction to to things that have been going on. Maybe I should say first, give us your working definition of critical race theory.
1: Well, I think that what's important for people to realize is that critical race theory is basically a racial form of Marxism. And so, if you if folks remember classical Marxism, it's dividing people into oppressor class and oppressed class but that's based upon economic status so it's the rich versus the poor rich people being the oppressors the uh, working class and the poor being the oppressed but uh, uh, you know one of the reasons why uh... classical marxism never really took hold in the united states is because there was such economic mobility in this country and you were able to uh... go from you know somebody who was very poor to somebody who really made it uh... well in life i mean i take my own father for example who went from some uh... from a a poor boy who literally uh, worked and lived on a sugar plantation in Hawaii before it was a state when it was a territory. And then he ended up his life, uh, his working life, as the head equestrian trail planner for Los Angeles County. And so there was great social mobility in the United States. But under uh, critical race theory, which is, as I say, racial Marxism, uh, you have the oppressed and oppressor classes, but they're not based upon uh, economic status. What they're based upon is the color of your skin. So uh, whites would be viewed as the oppressor class. Oftentimes, Asians will often view be viewed as a part of that class as well. Often uh, said to be white adjacent, and then you have other hmm. non-whites uh, viewed as being the oppressor oppressed class. And the trouble with uh, racial Marxism is that you can never change the color of your skin, and so therefore you will always be a uh, oppressed or oppressor uh, in the oppressed or oppressor classes, and uh, no matter how you. You advance in your life, you will always be a member of that class.
0: You know, sometimes you can just tell the corruption or or the, or the fraudulence of uh, an intellectual uh, outlook by its language. white adjacent. I mean,, can, can you imagine calling, calling a group white, white adjacent. my, my goodness. Uh, let me get to another term. why do you why do you label the reaction? Of many parents to this material as, quote, a revolt?
1: Well, I think that uh, parents, and it doesn't matter what color you are, you know, I think that people who uh, look at uh, critical race theory and see this division that is being caused by this uh, theory that is being imposed upon their children uh, through uh, indoctrination in the classroom, that they see that this uh, will not end up, uh, you know, well for the United States, well for their children. Uh, They see that You know, these kids who come to school, you know, who want to be united as children, and yet they're being divided, you know, by their uh, teachers, by the curriculum, uh, by uh, the school districts, and by the states into uh, these uh, classifications, that, you know, this is uh, something that is going to cause a great deal of harm to these children in their interactions with other kids in the way they look at themselves and so therefore what you see with parents and again one of the things we did in this book is to um, uh, profile parents who from all types of backgrounds not just one uh, you know racial segment of the, this country but parents from every race every uh, economic status religion all of those diverse backgrounds but all of whom are united in their opposition to critical race theory, and they are actually revolting. They're not just uh, uh, unhappy with it, they're actually doing something about it. And one of the things that uh, we emphasize in this book is that these profiles of these dozen uh, or so um, parents, uh, students, and uh, grassroots leaders is that they are actually ordinary citizens who are doing extraordinary things in the face of this menace that is threatening our children.
0: Yeah. I mean, I want to get to the, uh, much of the meat of the book is individual profiles of people actually doing things. And and I think that's one of the strengths of the book. We're not just talking. We're doing. We're acting. We are revolting uh, against what what is going on. Let me ask you, but before we get to a couple of those, how did these ideas, which were hatched in, you know, graduate seminars in academia. What is the story of them filtering down into elementary school grades?
1: Well, I think that uh, that's a really important uh, question, Mark. I think people, when they look at this critical race theory issue, it almost seems that it it exploded uh, on the scene here in the United States over the last few years. But really, if you look back at the history of uh, this type of doctrine, uh, it actually goes back decades one of the first uh, studies that i did for the pacific research institute uh, uh, in, when i was the uh, when i became head of the education unit there was to actually look at the teacher training curriculum at the california state university schools of education which uh, produce the vast majority of the teachers in my home state of California. And what I found was that many of these ideas that uh, we're talking about right now in critical race theory, this racial Marxism, uh, this uh, emphasis on blaming some uh, races uh, for uh, the ills of this society, that this was all being uh, taught to prospective teachers 20, 30 years ago. And so therefore, what you see then is this uh, culmination of this indoctrination of the teachers coming into the classroom, and so it, it, you it's not something that just happened overnight it's something that's been uh happening for a long time, and we often talk about the left's long march through the institutions and this is a great example of that because this started off um you as you point out you know in graduate seminars but who who, who were On the receiving ends of those graduate seminars was often these prospective teachers. And so therefore, they're now in the classroom uh, teaching this uh, to our children, indoctrinating our children. And again, uh, it's something that uh, is shocking to parents, which is why they are revolting against it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I asked an education expert the other day, why do people want to become English teachers now? I mean, I would have thought, remembering when I was going to school, it's because they love Charles Dickens, right? They love Jane Austen or Hemingway and he said no no i think the, the main motivation now is I, I want i want to bring social justice ideas into into the classroom even the, even the high school english classroom yeah yeah so here we are and and it really is institutionally it it worked through the institutions and you have one example in the book of institutionalization of some of these ideas in something called the ethnic studies model curriculum which california your state my my home state adopted in year 2021. What what was that curriculum and what was the process?
1: Well, so California uh, uh, passed a law saying that there had to be a uh, uh, model ethnic studies curriculum that was going to be imposed as a graduation requirement here in California. And so therefore, uh, the... State um, had to come up with this model curriculum, and it went through a number of drafts. Now, what's interesting is the very first draft that came, uh, was presented to the state board of education here was an extremely radical one. It's one that uh, equated uh, capitalism with exploitation. Uh, it actually had uh, a lot of anti-Semitic tropes included with it, such as Jewish people, um, you know, own the media, you know, and so it. Was uh, hugely controversial, uh, and and when it came out, and so you had really a bipartisan uh, opposition to it because it was so radical uh, in its uh, both its ideology and its uh, you know anti-ethnic bias in many ways uh depending on which race and ethnicity you're talking about and so therefore you had for ex- example here in California the the Jewish caucus which was mostly democrats in the uh California state legislature come out in strong opposition to this ethnic studies uh, draft uh model curriculum and so the, the it was that draft was eventually deep sixed and uh the uh state board of education told uh, the drafters to go back to the drawing board Well, they came back with another draft, which was somewhat more moderate. They shaved some of the edges off of it, uh, and uh, that was eventually adopted uh, by the State Board of Education. But the thing of it is, here in California, is that uh, this is a model curriculum. And so, therefore, all the local districts don't have to actually adopt what the state puts out as a model curriculum. The uh, very disturbing thing for us here in California is that that original initial radical uh, draft of this model curriculum has actually been adopted by a number and growing number of districts around this state. And so and many of the, uh, who, which are you know large districts. And so therefore, you're having this uh, battle now going on at the grassroots over what type of uh, uh, model curriculum, uh, what type of ethnic studies curriculum is going to be adopted in our school districts. And uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, there is a huge um, uh, amount of push on the left to adopt that first radical version of this uh, ethnic studies requirement.
0: Yeah. Well, the left understands very well how to win. You know, uh, uh, sometimes I'm not so sure the right is understood. Uh, how to how to wage this this battle?
1: Well, I, I and I think but, but, and I think that's right. Mark. Not you
0: guys, <laughs> not, not not you guys. You you know, Lance, you you know how to how, how to fight. But uh, uh, sometimes it, it seems that you know the the long march through the institutions. It was it was pretty darn successful. No, I th- uh, and here here we are.
1: No, I think that's right. You know that 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 long march through the institutions has gone on. You know, while, you know, and this, again, I should say that this is happening not just in deep blue states like California. This is also happening in purple states, in red states as well. Just because you live in a red state doesn't mean that you're not going to have a lot of this uh, type of curriculum, uh, this radical curriculum being uh, pushed through. And oftentimes under the noses of uh, public officials who are, you know, who are Republicans or conservatives. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and before you know it, you know the the uh, the system, the education system, has been taken over all under the noses of uh, elected uh, Republicans and conservatives.
0: I know it's frustrating. Now you you have more on some other uh, uh, damaging ideas, including social emotional learning. There's a real craze for that. Also with uh, reforms in school discipline, one of them going under the name of restorative justice. Uh, anytime you have an adjective attached to the word justice, one should be suspicious, I think. Justice is justice. Uh, But let's get to some of your profiles because I I think that that is one of the great values of the book, real people with real stories. Tell us uh, one of these stalwart parents, Gabs Clark. What's the story here?
1: Well, we we lead off uh, our profiles with Gabs Clark because she is perhaps the person you would least expect to be uh, a warrior against critical race theory. I mean, she's African-American. She's low income. She's a widow. She's disabled. She's a mother of five uh, kids. Gabs Clark is so poor that she was living in a motel room in Las Vegas, and she often had to decide between buying food and gasoline for her car. She was that poor. And yet, you know, when COVID came around and, you know, so many of the schools closed and her uh, a child, her children were being um, uh, taught from home uh, through Zoom meetings, uh, she was able to look over the shoulder of her children. And just like many parents, she was shocked to see what she saw being taught to her children. Uh, her 12-year-old daughter was in an art class and uh, the uh, teacher was... Uh, not teaching art, but was talking a lot about Black Lives Matter, and uh, Gabs Clark <laughs> said, "What? What is this? This isn't uh, art instruction." And so she confronted uh, the uh, the school and and said that uh, you know if they were and asked them if they were teaching critical race theory. Of course, they denied it and said that they weren't. Uh, but you know what uh, she ended up, ended up happening though was that was only the start of her uh, problems with the school. Uh, the school had a requirement uh, for uh, high school graduation called the Sociology of Change course. And her older son was uh, a senior in high school, and he was in this course. And so uh, in this course, there was an identity uh, exercise where you had to identify yourself based upon your race or ethnicity, your religion, uh, your um. Uh, you know, with male, female, your gender uh, and your sexuality. And th- uh, her son didn't want to participate in this exercise because he felt that this invaded his privacy and that he didn't want to uh, lay this all out uh, in front of the whole classroom. And so he refused to do this exercise. And the uh, school then uh, not only failed him for that exercise, but because he failed to do that exercise, they failed him for the course, which meant that, he was not able to graduate because that was a required course for his diploma, and Gab said, "Well, this isn't going to stand." And so, even though she was poor, had all of these, you know, uh, very difficult challenges in her life, she said, "I have to sue." So she was able to get an attorney and sue in federal court, and she, uh, her lawsuit charged uh, a violation of her son's uh, First Amendment uh, free speech rights because the school was compelling him to do uh, to do speech. Uh, There was violations of his 14th Amendment equal protection rights and of violations of all kinds of federal statutes, such as uh, the anti-discrimination provisions under the 1964 U.S. Civil Rights Act. And so uh, she filed this federal lawsuit against the school. The school, uh, you know, uh, saw the writing on the wall because the judge actually said in one of the uh, pre-hearings that uh, that Gabs was going to likely win on the merits. And so the school eventually backed down and has settled with Gabs out of court. But that just shows you that when parents, even, you know, somebody with the difficulties Gabs was facing in her life, when she saw her children threatened, their futures threatened, that uh, she acted on it. And, you know, as the book says, she revolted against uh, this uh, 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 really this authoritarianism by the school.
0: all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You, you know, Liz, l- l- let me step back for a second and ask you to speculate. Because at first, she simply said, let my son opt out from this class. Mm-hmm. He, he can do something else. I, I mean, it's not he's going to get out of doing work. Uh, and the school said No. Why draw such a doggone hard and fast line on this? I mean, why, why dig in your heels so deeply, especially to this mother?
1: Well, I think, you know, we go back to this uh, uh, issue of what critical race theory is. It's, uh, you know, if it's cr- critical race theory is racial Marxism. And if you believe in that, I mean, Marxism is a uh, totalitarian type of, uh, of ideology. And so, therefore, you know, uh, we as people who have grown up, uh, you know, uh, in a uh, in an American society which up till very recently, you know, adhered to democratic norms, would think, well, why wouldn't there be some compromise here? You know, yeah, and uh, because that would seem to be the um, best way to address this issue. But when you have people who adhere to this type of ideology, that it's unsurprising that they're going to dig in their heels because it's all about power for them, right? They believe they have the power and that this uh, ideology is uh, so critical that they want to impose it on uh, the children regardless of uh, how it affects uh, their futures or not. And so therefore, I think it's unsurprising that uh, you have uh, uh, this type of intransigence on the part of these school officials, because again they're being motivated by a type of ideology that, and you know, we can talk about this uh, 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 with some of the other profiles. But some of the uh, folks that uh, we we interview for the book are from communist countries, and they right, point right. out that this type of ideology caused huge, massive uh, distress in their countries and it's because of uh, the, this essence of power and control that uh, is inherent in this type of ideology.
0: Well, let's get to the one of them. Uh, uh, someone named, I, I'm hoping I pronounced this correctly, G Van Fleet. Who is she and what's her story?
1: Well, yes, and that, that is the perfect pronunciation, Mark. Uh, yeah, G okay. Van Fleet is uh, an immigrant mom. She uh, came from communist China and... She's such an interesting story because she grew up in uh, in communist China, but during, not only in communist China, but during the time of uh, Mao Zedong's cultural revolution. And so she actually experienced it as a young child. And, you know, initially it started off as propaganda posters in her school, but then what she saw was... Um, uh, Red Guards, young Red Guards, coming into her school and uh, imposing communist uh, discipline on not just students but on teachers and others as well. And uh, your listeners uh, who don't know the com- uh, the Cultural Revolution should re- uh, recall that the Cultural Revolution was started by Mao Zedong uh, as a way to impose doctrinaire communism on the population and you were persecuted based upon uh, if you had wrong ideas the wrong uh, family uh, background or the wrong professions and so uh, you, you had he recruited these young red guards to uh, be basically his stormtroopers to impose communist orthodoxy on the population, and it ended up with millions of people, ordinary Chinese people, being killed by the communist regime because of the Cultural Revolution. And what she saw uh, happen in her school, for example, she gives us one uh, incredible example, where she saw a group of Red Guards uh, persecute a teacher whose only offense was that she had a Western-style or modern-style haircut. And what these Red Guards did was they spit on her. I mean, there was a whole phalanx of these Red Guards who spit on her, and she was covered with spit from head to toe. And that, and she got away easy in the sense that she was not killed. Other people, as I mentioned, millions of people were killed during the, uh, the uh, Cultural Revolution. And this is really important because when she immigrated to the United States, and uh, she uh, was so... Uh, happy to enjoy the freedom and liberty that we all experience, she's now seeing this introduction of critical race theory as something that is reverting back to what she saw in in her own youth in communist China. And she says that in communist China, you were taught early on to just shut your mouth, and not to say anything. And she sees this happening here where kids are being canceled or feeling that they have to self-censor themselves, because if they say something that is against uh, the uh, reigning uh, doctrine in in the classroom, that they're going to be persecuted for that. And so therefore, she sees this parallel between her youth in communist China, in the Cultural Revolution, and what's happening now. And she says that Americans need to stand up for their own freedom, because... Uh, if they don't uh do it right now they will end up a- a- as she did in communist china
0: next profile elena fishbein what's her story
1: well elena is a really interesting person uh, she is uh grew up in uh, she was born raised in israel and she um is and for those uh Uh, Of your listeners who know Israel uh, well, you know that uh, Jewish people in in Israel oftentimes uh, are, you know, you have two different types of uh, Jewish people, depending on where they came from. Uh, uh, There's the Ashkenazi Jews who came from uh, Europe, and there are um, the Sephardim who came from uh, different parts of the Middle East. And uh, Elena Fishbein is a Sephardic Jew. And uh, she grew up in a time when uh, Sephardic Jews in Israel were often discriminated against. And so she knows the sting of discrimination. And uh, she um, uh, eventually uh, you know, served in the Israeli military. She ran for the Israeli uh, Knesset, the parliament there. You know, she came to the United States and uh, had uh, children who uh, at a very late age, uh, I think her first uh, child was born when uh, she was 52 years old. She had her second child when she was 54. And so, yeah. And so, you know, (laughs) but she, you know, she understands, you know, the uh, obviously coming from Israel, you know, the danger of uh, this emphasis on dividing people by race and ethnicity. Because you can just see what's happened in the Middle East over the years to see the dangers of, of that, uh, that type of racial identification. And so therefore, when she started to see this critical race theory start to seep in to her, uh, her children's classrooms, she was very uh, uh, um, disturbed by it. And you know one of the books that she points out that really awoke her, to what was going on in the classroom was a book called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness that was uh, in uh, one of her ch- uh, children's curriculum. And this was a children's book, but it was all about white racism. And uh, so, for example, you know, the book states that racism is a white person's problem. You know, and I don't know about you, Mark, but I know that racism is something that is uh, can be seen Regardless of uh, who, uh, what race you're from, you know, any race can exhibit racism. It's not just one uh, race. Uh, but in this book, uh, the book says just boldly that racism is a white person's problem. And at the end of the book, it ends with whiteness is a bad deal. And so she was shocked by this book. And so, you know, she became active. And uh, the long story short with her is that she she became so active that she decided that she needed to start a group. And this is one of the things that uh, we uh, underscore in a number of the profiles is that these parents have not only become active, they have started their own organizations. And so uh, Elena Fishbein started a group called No Left Turn in Education, which has grown to be a very significant parent rights group all across this country and I think that uh, you know you're seeing these types of grassroots parents groups spring up uh, not just in individual states but then become national organizations uh, such as No Left Turn in Education and they have become very effective in uh, promoting transparency in curriculum advancing parental rights and really pushing uh, both education and lawmakers uh, to um, respond To the interests of parents, not just the special interests and the ideologues who are pushing all this stuff in the classroom.
0: You know there are other profiles uh, in the book, but let me let me ask you a question about the last few years. We know how school boards really suddenly became suddenly it seemed became a, a national news story. Were you surprised? That that I mean, you've been you you know what school boards are like, and you've known that for a long time. Were you surprised that suddenly it got so much attention?
1: No, I'm not, uh, re- uh, really, Mark. Because uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, for many many years, uh, parents have been dissatisfied with various aspects of education. But I think that there is something that is a quantum leap between, like you know, let's just say, poor performance on the math test. And what we're seeing here with critical race theory, this type of uh, indoctrination going on in the classroom is, uh, you know, I I think has hit parents at a much different and higher level than, you know, just poor performance, as bad as that is. And so, I mean, when you have, for example, you know, in one of our uh, profiles, I profile a student named Joshua who talks about having to engage in a privilege walk where he lines up side by side with uh, students in a line in his classroom, then the teacher calls out privileged traits and saying, I am white, I am uh, male, I am Christian. And you have to take steps forward in front of your class if that applies uh, to you. And you're basically the focus of negative uh, uh, images in your classroom. That is much different than, you know, getting a C minus on the math test. And so therefore, I think that you know, parents see this and they uh, say that their children's um, real existence is being threatened by this, and their futures are being threatened by this, which is why they become active at the school board level. And I, uh, you know, you're seeing parents who are running for school board. We profile a number of parents in the book who have run for school board. We profile. Let,
0: uh, oh, sure. let, let, let me let me let me jump to one of the last figures in the book because on that issue of running for school boards, what is Ryan Gardusky doing on that?
1: Yeah, in, in fact, I was just about to mention him, Mark. Yeah, Ryan Graduski, uh, who we profile in our book, it, it formed a organization called the 1776 United Pack, and we know we all know about political action committees uh, that donate to uh, various political candidates, you know, whether it's state legislatures or uh, gubernatorial races or to uh, national races, but in uh, there are very few. Um, uh, organizations political action committees that actually focus at the school board level certainly on the conservative side they're very few you have the teachers unions and other special interests on the left that uh, will give tons of money to school board candidates but uh, on the conservative side there's virtually uh, no presence in terms of political action committees and so Ryan Gerdusky who we profile is filling this void and he's raised money to uh, finance and to fund candidates who are against critical race theory, who are against uh, this indoctrination, and he's been hugely successful uh, in uh, electing school board members uh, to whom his PAC has contributed, and um, uh, and not just electing individuals, but flipping whole school boards from special interest-dominated school boards to being pro-parent-dominated school boards. and you know, again, you know, he uh, has done this, you know, across the United States from uh, Florida to Colorado to uh, lots of other states. And he has been able to flip these school boards. And it's made a huge difference in the policies at these uh, school districts. Yeah. Very good. Uh,
0: The book is The Great Parent Revolt, How Parents and Grassroots Leaders Are Fighting Critical Race Theory in America's schools. Lance Zumi. thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.